Guess the Lions fans, guys. I mean, he can't even say anything about a Super Bowl. And I had to reply. You know I did. Go love live. You've heard that a lot around here. It's go to the missing, love the marginalized, and live as God's kids. This is certainly our mission here at Blue Ash Community Church. And throughout this series, our hope is to really talk about what this looks like as a community and individually. Because it is both and. It isn't about just me doing my part. It's about all of us doing our part. And I don't necessarily mean like us as a church community either. I mean as, as God's church, the global church. Because Blue Ash Community Church isn't made up of just a, a building and the staff and volunteers. Blue Ash Community Church truly is the people that call themselves followers of Jesus who happen to call Blue Ash Community Church their church home. Because the church is a community of people that is centered around Jesus. And today we're going to look at part of the New Testament that really is the core at living out this life as a follower of Christ. And if you want to follow along in your Bibles, head to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And of course, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one in the back. They're absolutely free. And if you're back there, grab one of those orange journals so you can take some notes from today's message. And truly, I encourage you to get up and get one if you don't have one to be prepared for whatever God has for you today. So whatever you're doing to turn to or turn your phones on to 1 Corinthians uh, 13, while you're doing all of that, let's just take a moment and just invite God to come and get, help us get out of today what we want. Will you pray with me? God, just come right now by the power of your Holy Spirit. Would you just prepare us for the words that you have for us? Maybe it was already a, a conversation that's happened before church, a song that was saying, uh, maybe it'll be something that, God, you use me this morning, but in the way that only you can. Would you help change us, shift us, morph us, really, to be more like you as we leave here? Help Sunday impact every other day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Andy Rainey. I'm one of the pastors here. If you are joining us for the first time online or in person, we're so glad you're here. Before we jump into 1 Corinthians 13, where we're going to spend, the, really, the morning, I want to just read to you some historical context some background, cultural information about this city that Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing to. And while I'm reading it, I want you to kind of have this question in the back of your mind. It's kind of the filter through which you'll hear 1 Corinthians 13, or the, the background of, of 1 Corinthians 13. Is, does any of this sound familiar? So that's the question you're going to just have in the back of your mind as I read all of this. The city of Corinth was a major city in ancient Greece known for its strategic location. It was a bustling port city that facilitated trade and commerce. It attracted a really diverse population, including Greeks, Romans, Jews, and people from various cultures, and due to its commercial importance, it was a hub. Corinth was a melting pot of cultures and religions, leading to a mixed belief system and practices, which means they all had different beliefs and ideas of how things were going to work. The city had numerous temples dedicated to various gods, contributing to a diverse religious landscape. So they had a different belief system. Corinth was also known for its wealth and luxury, driven by trade and commerce. The pursuit of uh, material success and a luxurious lifestyle was a notable aspect of the culture, influencing the social values and the behaviors of the people. The culture had distinct social hierarchies and class divisions, and these divisions were certainly re reflected in the social gatherings, the religious practices, and even the way people interacted with one another. The culture was characterized by a secular lifestyle, is how they would define it, focusing on the pursuit of pleasure, leisure, 
and personal gratification. This influenced the moral climate and challenges faced by the early Christian community. The city was notorious for its laxed attitudes towards sexual ethics, promiscuity, and various forms of immorality. The cultural backdrop then posed a significant challenge for this Christian community to live their life to follow Jesus well. The city was known for its intellectual and philosophical environments. The citizens highly valued this rhetoric, wisdom, and philosophical debates. This, of course, influences the way the Apostle Paul, who writes this letter to the city of Corinth and the the church there, this influences the way he communicates the gospel and addresses these intellectual challenges in the letter. Does any of that sound like America today? Right? I believe a lot of what's going on in our culture is happening, that's happening in our world, specifically in our country, is the influence of the things that we're going to talk about this morning. This includes not just our country as a whole, but I believe our state that we happen to reside in, and certainly every city that everyone is represented in in this room. I believe what we're going to hear from the Apostle Paul as he addresses some of these challenges wasn't just true then, they're certainly true for us today now. So knowing this background and the challenges, let's see how Paul navigates this truth of who Jesus is and how this impacts their life. As I mentioned, we're going to spend most of our time in 1 Corinthians 13, but as chapter 12 is wrapping up, which you'll read in your reading plan this week, Paul addresses this physical body as an analogy for all the spiritual gifts and how the the community, the, the body of the church operates. So the body then is kind of his metaphor. And he encourages people to desire the, the greater spiritual gifts that he's been talking up up to this point. Then he transitions that thought by telling people there is a more excellent way than just boasting about and operating in these excellent spiritual gifts that he's been talking about. And Paul says, without this one thing, without this one thing, all the spiritual gifts, all the things that God gives us to operate in or out of are worthless without this one thing. So let's jump in and see what Paul has to say about this. Starting with verse 1, he says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. So Paul's saying great faith, acts of dedication or sacrifice, miracle working power, the ability to speak in any language in heaven or on earth will produce very little without love. Without love, speaking in a heavenly language, although it is a gift of the Spirit, becomes nothing more than just meaningless noise. Without love, the spiritual gifts, no matter what they are, do not build up other believers if they're not through the lens of love. They're useless. And can I, just a quick aside here, like there's a couple things that are contested in the, within the broader church, church, like you know, speaking in tongues. Paul's statement here on heavenly languages or tongues doesn't discount that those things did, and we believe here at this church, still exist today. They simply presume that we need to be operating in them out of love. 
or through the lens and the intent of loving God and loving others. As Christ's followers, we must not exalt or celebrate the gifts of the Spirit that God operates in and, and through us over the character of the Spirit that the character that the Spirit produces in us. The character is what's important. Love is far more important than any gift that we could have. The word love here is used in the Greek as agape love. It's Greeks had different words for different uh, ways they express love. We use love for everything. I love the Bengals and I love my wife. Those do not commute, uh, communicate the same kind of love, right? This kind of love is, is deep, abiding, self-sacrificing love, the kind that looks out for the other person first. It's only produced by God. Paul uses our hearts in this list of things, as he was talking about those first few verses that we looked at, and challenges us to think about our giving through the lens of love, right? Because Love produces a willingness to give sacrificially. Acts of charity or even self-sacrifice can be done for the sake of maybe an idea, a ministry we might even like. We can do it with pride as our motivation. But Paul's saying they're really of no value to the kingdom unless they're done from the foundation of love of others. I mean, when you give or tithe here at Blue Ash Community Church, our hope is that you do it from the overflow of the love of Jesus. It's an act of giving back to God what he's so generously given us. Not simply because the Bible says to live a generous life. A generous life is produced. It comes from that place of a deep abiding love of God. Then Paul brilliantly defines love. Most of us are likely familiar with what I'm about to read here. It says love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no records of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices when the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love, Paul says, will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. Then he says, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. And he closes with this. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. Obviously, we could be, build an entire series around just that portion of Scripture. But for the sake of time, I'm going to just expand a bit on this definition. And we're going to end this morning with a question. And I believe this question can really direct our path. It's a question that could help us filter the coulds and shoulds. Here are all the things I could do. What should I do? It's the question that puts Christ at the center of our action. And over time, hopefully it becomes our reaction to things. What we can learn from Paul's definition of love is the importance love has in someone's life as a follower of Jesus. Paul provides a roadmap of sorts of how it looks to live out this life as a follower of Jesus or as we would say one of God's kids. First of all, he said love is patient. 
which is the opposite uh, of being short-tempered. Patience is an attribute of God throughout Scripture. We've read throughout our entire reading plan. We see over and over how God calls upon his people to be patient. Patience, we'll read in Galatians, is a fruit of the Spirit, which means it's produced in us. It's something that Jesus grows in us as we pursue him. Paul also said that love is is kind. Kindness takes the initiative in responding generously to other other people's needs. And since we have received kindness, we ought to act with kindness towards others. This kind of love is considerate and helpful to others. Kind love is gentle. It's always ready to show compassion, especially to those in need. Love is not jealous, he mentioned. A jealous person desires what another person has. This can produce like this envy. The seed of envy can lead to to anger and hatred. Love is not boastful or proud, which can be difficult for us to kind of recognize sometimes because some pride can be positive, but this kind of pride takes credit for undeserved things or gifts. And, And when we're caught up in pride and boasting over our gifts or how God is even using us, we're unable to really serve God and his kingdom in an honoring way. And some of us might be thinking, well, I'm not boastful, right? Like, I don't, I don't go gallivating around and, and telling people of all the things that I'm good at, all my successes, showing people that I'm better than them, so I'm good on this one, right? But let's not forget that pride can be an internal thing. It can, it can have us make decisions that are based out of our own success, our own image, how people may see us, out of our own ego, so that we're more important or maybe even have a little more influence or power than others, instead of our love for God and others. Paul also said, love is not rude. This refers to actions that are improper, impolite, discourteous, or even crude. We are to be careful to act in a manner worthy of our calling before God and not humiliate others. Love does not demand its own way. It looks out for others. It seeks their best interests. Love is not irritable, meaning easily angered or touchy. When we are irritable, easily angered, or touchy, we aren't acting out of love. When we operate out of love, we'll we'll not be easily provoked over disagreement, small or large. This could be one that maybe some of us struggle with. Love keeps no records of wrongs, right? It doesn't keep records of wrongs like we're tallying them up in some book that we can turn to really quickly in an argument or like when... This life is over if we're going to tally up who's wronged who the most. Love doesn't harbor resentment against others. Instead, love makes makes allowances for people's flaws, their mistakes, their imperfections. Love willingly forgets when wrongs are done. When mistakes are made, love overlooks and allows us to continue to love and serve others. Love is never never glad about an injustice, but rejoices when the truth wins out, which we'll talk about in a second. When we love well, we do not show like we're more superior, our morality is better. We don't take pleasure when somebody else fails. Maybe I need to repeat, repeat that one. We don't take pleasure when somebody else fails, unless they're a Steeler fan. Maybe now a Lions fan. 
It's, it's through our relationship with Jesus that we possess the one and only truth. The truth of who Jesus is, what Jesus did, and what Jesus wants to continue to do in and through every one of us. When, when we love well, we seek the truth, and we desire that that truth wins out. We protect the truth and proclaim the truth whenever possible. After Paul explained what love does not do, all those are things that love doesn't do, he lists four positive attributes of love. He said, lover never gives up, but willingly protects others. The Greek word here for protect means to cover or hide by covering. This isn't like to hide your sin. That's not what this means at all. Instead, it means protecting someone from embarrassment, from gossip, or any other kind of harm. When we love one another, we refuse to gossip, and then we protect one another from those that could inflict harm on somebody else. Another attribute of love is that it never loses faith. It's willing to think and believe the best of others. This can be hard to do, especially those we love the most. This doesn't mean we're gullible, by the way, that we just trust everyone, right? Instead, it means we're willing to think the best as opposed to the worst. Like, how can I receive or hear that in the best possible way as opposed to the worst? When we willingly think the best of everyone, people then become more free just to be open and honest with one another because we're all trying to hear this and receive it in the best possible light. The third attribute of love that Paul points out is love is always hopeful. When we're operating out of love, we look forward, not backward, right? We're not keeping those tallies. When we seek growth and maturity in the church and with each other, knowing that God is always in the work of every one of us and at different rates, at different seasons, at different places. The fourth and last attribute he talks about is love endures through every circumstance. Those who love are active and steadfast in their love. We hold on no matter the difficulties we face. Hardship, pain, circumstances, they do not stop love. We face persecution head on. We hang on when the going gets tough. We strive to save our relationships. We work at it. We, we strive to, to save our, our marriages despite disappointments. And we continue to trust God despite the setbacks that inevitably come because we are people. We continue to serve God despite our fear and our sorrow. Paul reminds us that the spiritual gifts, all the ones he's already talked about, will eventually disappear because they will no longer be needed. There will be a day they will no longer be needed. But love, he said, will last forever. Because on this earth, outside of heaven, everything is imperfect. No matter how much people know, we still only know a part. No matter how much prophecy is given, it still reveals very little in the scheme of things. Until the arrival of God's kingdom, when everything will be made new. Until Jesus returns, then everything will be as it should be. Then all the spiritual gifts that God gives us with to build up the body of Christ will no longer be needed. Because that's exactly why the gifts are here, to build up the body of Christ. But when it's back to fully living in the kingdom that God wants for us and has for us, the body then will be complete. But love, Paul says, will continue. Love, as we know, 1 John tells us, God is love. This is the very essence of God himself. God's love caused him to reach into an undeserving humanity to send a Savior. 
It's a beautiful look at those verses. And then we can kind of realize that God embodies all of these things. He's literally the essence of all of that love is. And he is why they will never end. They will, they will never end in us if we let the Lord of uh, our life love us well. God's love saved his people. God's love will bring his people into his kingdom forever. God's kingdom rests on this idea of love. And the beauty is we don't have to wait. We have to wait for the fullness of his kingdom. We get to live in God's kingdom right now. After Paul defines love, he goes on to use this analogy of childish things. He said, a child talks, thinks, and reasons like a child. If you've ever had a child, you know a child. If you've seen a child, you go, that's true. They do these things, right? A child's understanding is incomplete. But as a child grows up, they mature in speech, the way they think, the way they reason and think about processes and, and challenges. Now, women may do this quicker than men, but we eventually get there, I hope. But as a child grows up, they put away these childish things. To, to use another metaphor, he talked about this, this idea of a mirror. Our spiritual understanding is like a reflection. It's a poor reflection in a mirror. We see very poorly. We don't get to see the, the completed picture. Our knowledge is still growing, no matter how long you've been a follower of Jesus, no matter how much maturing has happened. But wherever we are in that relationship with Christ and our, our growth and maturing nature, God knows us completely, just as we are, just as Janice talked about last week. And instead of boasting about their spiritual gifts, the Corinthian believers needed to realize that these gifts were nothing compared to what they're going to experience in the new heaven and the new earth. This brings us to Paul's final point, which we haven't read yet in this section. He said three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. In this context, faith refers to trust in the goodness and mercy of God, the kind of trust that allows us to persevere until we live face-to-face in the presence of God, in perfect communion. Hope is looking forward to the arrival of God's promised kingdom in its fullest form. As I mentioned, we get to live in God's kingdom now in its incomplete form. But we only get to experience glimpses of what God's kingdom will be like when it is completely lived out in its fullness. When that happens, we're going to be free of suffering. We're going to be free of loss. Paul added that the greatest of faith, hope, and love is love. Paul established that love would last and abide forever. Love is the greatest of these because it's the one quality of life that we live with Jesus that is fully active now and fully active in in eternity. Faith in God will be realized when we're living with him face to face, right? We'll have the hope. We'll be living in the hope when God's kingdom is in its fullness. But love, this deep abiding love that only God can provide, will be lived out in its perfect form when we're in his kingdom. Paul has brilliantly spelled out to the Corinthians and us that love is at the core of how we're to live in anticipation and experience love at its fullest form. And the best part is we can live out those days at the core, love at our core, right now. 
Because as followers of Jesus, we have God's love at the center of our lives now. Not only is God love, but he has love for us that can penetrate and shift and change us from the inside out. It's that love that will guide us and direct our steps. As we continue to pursue Jesus, his love continues to guide us. Now, I mentioned that I believe there's a question that can help us figure out the shoulds and coulds of life. All the things we could do to the thing that we should do. A question that puts Christ at the center of our actions and over time helps us to react to things with this same aspect of love. This question can actually help recenter us. It can help us refocus. This question can put into motion God's love for others through us. And the question is this. What does love require? What does love require in our relationships with others? Whether that's your spouse, maybe it's the person you're dating. Maybe it's like, what does love require for my parents or for for your kids, your siblings, your extended family? What does love require for my friends, my coworkers, my neighbors, whoever it is? What does love require in that relationship? Maybe it requires patience. Maybe it's seeking to understand that everyone has their own pace in the relationship with Christ. They have their own struggles in life that they're facing. I mean, think about the people that you see that you have a contact with every day. How does love guide our kindness to others and our actions, even our words? How can we help seek to encourage and support them? What would love require us to do in that? How can, how can love help us avoid jealousy, jealousy and boasting? What would, what would love require for us to celebrate the achievements of others, their successes, how can, how can love help us to be humble and respectful in our, action, in our interactions with others, regardless of their status, regardless of their background? What would love require instead of demanding our own way in our, in our life? What would love require for us to be open to compromise, to consider the needs and perspective uh, of other people? When we find ourselves being irritable and resentful, maybe that's just me, what would love require, right? What would love require for us to control our, our, our temper, our frustrations, to let go of grudges? What would love require to choose forgiveness and to seek to understand the other person? This, this can guide our decisions. What does love require? This question, though, that's really the easy part, right? The hard part's the follow-through. The hard part's the living out what love requires, even when we don't want to do it, even when we feel like we were wrong, and maybe we were. Living out love with our actions, that's the hard part. But it becomes easier, doesn't make it easy, it becomes easier for us to live this out as we continue to pursue Jesus and his love for us. When we allow God's love to penetrate our life. Because really our intimacy, our rhythms of acknowledgement, our pursuit of the presence of God, our submission to his will, all of that has a direct relationship to our ability and tendency to live out and operate out of love. All of that 
has an impact. God's spirit in our lives helps us not only answer the question, what does love require? God's spirit, the Holy Spirit, the one that lives in us, helps us live out the actions of what love requires. And with love at the core of our lives, we will naturally then begin to tell people about God's love. With love at the core of our lives, the thing that we're truly pursuing, we will naturally love people where they are. With love at the core of our lives and what we do, we will be on the lookout for those that do not know how much they're loved by Christ. You may have heard the statement, all love is sacrificial love, right? It's true. Operating out of love will take sacrifice on our own part. If we implement all of these aspects of love into our lives through the pursuit of Jesus, it will inconvenience us. It's going to impact our time. It's going to impact our talent. It'll certainly impact our treasure, our money. And it will change over time what's important to us and what we hold on to. It will not be easy, but it will be worth it. With love at the core of our lives, not only will we love the marginalized, we will show God's love to everyone in our lives. And with love at the core of our lives, we will live freely as one of God's kids. It's God's love, and it's only God's love that transforms us to be more like him. It's not the pursuit of knowledge. It's not all the experiences. It's the heart to love God well. And if we want to be a better disciple of Jesus, we start at the very beginning and accept God's love in our own lives. Not because we deserve it, not because we've earned it, but because of God's mercy and his grace. The only way to love well with God's love is to accept first his love. And this happens when we truly grasp, when we truly understand that the one who knows us the best loves us the most. Because when it's all said and done, at the end of our lives, our life will not be a tally of everything we've accomplished. It will be about how well we've loved God and loved others. And through loving God well, we will naturally, he will naturally give us these opportunities to love his creation and his people well. This is what the life of a follower of Jesus is about. When we say we make disciples who go to the missing, love the marginalized, and live as God's kids, it's all from an overflow of loving God well first. He made it easy. Love me and love others. We complicate it. We try to give you 19 different ways to do each one of these things. And it's really easy. You love him well, he will change you, and you will naturally go to the missing. You will naturally love the marginalized, and you will naturally live freely as one of his kids. Grab your Connect cards that Jeff talked about. We're going to offer you some next steps. And our hope every time we do this, and we encourage you to fill this out, is because we believe when you simply put out your name, fill out your name on this Connect card and drop it in the offering in just a few minutes, we believe you're saying, God, I'm prepared for you to speak to me, to challenge me, to give me a next step. So we're going to give you some next steps. If you have one that's different than we offer, just encourage you to write that down, drop it in the offering when it goes by. But the first one is this, accept Christ for the first time. Maybe today is the day. You're like, I want this deep abiding love, the one that knows me the best but loves me the most. I, I want that guidance that, that we talked about, this thing that love offers. 
this different perspective, a way to see life and live life, that over time he, he changes us to be more like him. That's simply by saying yes to Jesus. The Bible calls that repentance. You're going to turn from your own ways or a sinful life and anything outside of God is sin. And you turn to the one that provides everything that we ever wanted and ever needed versus the mercy and grace, the acceptance for who you are and who you'll be in Jesus. And then he begins to change you from the inside out. It's almost like he gives you a different set of prescription lenses to put on. All of a sudden, the, every, everything looks different. And as you mature, he keeps changing those lenses. And you continue to see things differently. You continue to react to things differently. You see and feel everything differently. That's what Jesus offers us, freedom. Not that we won't sin no more, but freedom from the slavery of sin. And all this is over time. And then if you've made that decision, let's celebrate that on November 19th through baptism. Make sure you mark that on your Connect card and drop it in the offering in just a few minutes. And then our memory verse. For each series, we have a memory verse. If you didn't, we were here la- if you weren't here last week, we have the memory verses on the back. Be sure to grab one on, on your way out. Start to commit this to, to memory. Put the word of God in you. This is what ours is for this one. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. It's the now and not yet of life that we live in. We get to live in God's kingdom now, but not in its fullest, in pursuit of more and more glimpses of the coming kingdom. And then our application, the thing that we can go and and be with God, pray with God, pursue God with, which is allow God's love to penetrate our lives and ask the question, what does love require? Not our own definition of love. That's where we get ourselves in trouble. Like, I think this is what this means. Like, well, we have, we have a Bible to rely to. We have a Holy Spirit. We have access to God. We can simply ask him, God, in this situation, with these people, with that person, what would you have me do? What would love require? I heard it said this way. We've heard, all heard like, what would Jesus do, right? Remember that? Uh, the bracelets and everything. But I heard somebody once say, what would Jesus do if he were me in my situation and my circumstances? I like that one so much better. Like, try to imagine that Jesus is you in the circumstance you are with the history of these people and the circumstances that led up to this. What would love require? What would Jesus do in that instance? How do you think he would react? A pretty good indicator, I think, for us to take that step forward. Spend some time this week praying through those different scenarios in your lives. Maybe even now receive prayer, which is our fourth step. Do that by the prayer wall in the back. You can write your prayer requests on these Connect cards. Thank you guys for spending the time to write out your prayer requests or send those to you. We spend every staff uh, praying over those. It's an honor to do it email us at prayer at blueashcc.com. Go to our website. There's a prayer tab. There's lots of ways to do that in that way, but there's only one way to do that, at least on Sunday morning in person, which is with our prayer teams. We'll have some in the back, up here on my right in the front. Maybe bring some of these circumstances or challenges or people to prayer right now and see how, if God might speak into that. Maybe you have a, a 
prayer request, you have a healing. We believe God heals today. Maybe you have a blessing that you just want to share. Maybe you just want to be blessed. Whatever it is, just encourage you to, to cross that line of fear and walk up there and receive, receive prayer. We're going to receive our offering. If you have something to invest in our mission, thank you and drop off all your Connect cards. And while they're doing that, if you would grab your communion elements. We just do this in remembrance of what Jesus did and who he still is. And the wafer represents his body that was broken and the juice, his blood that was shed. And we do this in remembrance that he may went away in his physical form. He died the perfect death for us, the perfect atoning sacrifice so that we can live freely as one of his kids. We have full access to God. There's no hindrance. Let me pray. God, thanks. Thanks for the reminder of what love doesn't do and what love does do. God, you're the perfect embodiment of what love is. God, help us to love well out of the overflow of our love for you. God, just come. Come by the power of your Holy Spirit. Speak to each and every one of us individually in the only way that you can. Remind us how much we're loved, that you know everything about us, but you're the one that loves us the most. And thanks for that, Jesus. Amen. Be free to sit or stand and receive prayer.